Thank you, team. That's just really a practical way for the bridge to use our resources together and meet some uh, real needs in our community. And so I hope you'll just think about that and drop by the table uh, after the service today. Bridge Kids, thanks for joining us. You're dismissed. Rest of us are going to be in Jonah chapter 3. I invite you to find your, um, your text, if you would. Getting a second chance with God. On May 26, 2013, the Jascon 4, a tugboat towing, uh, towing an oil freighter along with two other tugboats began to sink. And it, be, it sank fairly quickly. And then it went down about 100 feet and it rested upside down. This was just off the coast of Nigeria. The cook of that tugboat, 29-year-old Harrison Ojigaba Okene, and I'm probably not going to say that again. He said he was tossed around like a rag doll in his quarters. The water was icy cold, and at 4.30 in the morning, he was only in his boxer shorts. In pitch darkness, he struggled to find a way of escape. The, the ship quickly filled, filled with water, and he went from cabin to cabin uh, trying, to, trying to get out. And uh, he found a four-foot uh, space that... Um, an air pocket. And so he built a platform and used two mattresses and a few other things so he could be up into that four-foot air pocket. Um, and he started to pray. And it just happens that Okene was a follower of Christ. He said, Oh God, by your grace, save me. And then he read from the book of Psalms and began to pray back some of the Psalms. His wife had phoned him earlier in the evening and uh, in, encouraged him to read Psalm 54 through 92 that night. And so he did. Um, three days later, he heard a sound that sounded like a boat that was approaching. And he started banging on the walls with a hammer. As divers made their way, uh, they saw a hand. There were 12 crewmen on that ship. And 11 of them didn't make it. And they saw a hand, and they assumed he was dead. And they reached out, and they grabbed Okene's hand, and he squeezed it. He was alive. Um, and he was the only survivor. Okene believes his rescue was a miracle that God answered his prayer. He told the Nigerian newspaper, the rest of my life is not enough to thank God for the wonder. It was incredible. Okene was given a second chance. A second chance at life. 
and now he wants to live that life in humble gratitude toward God. Jonah was also given a second chance, and that's what we see in in Jonah chapter 3, and so that's where we're going to begin today. God gives a second chance, verses, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now, remember the first chance, chapter 1, God cho- uh, told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against it. That does not sound like a very exciting message. Preach against it because of the wickedness that has come up before me. And Jonah didn't like that idea, and Jonah went in the opposite direction, remember? And he, he headed down to Joppa, and he got on a ship headed for Tarsha, Tarshish, and he was trying to escape and avoid uh, God, and um, God sent a, a great wind that caused a great storm, and uh, it was a perilous time on the sea. And... The sailors feared for their lives. They threw their cargo overboard, and Jonah was asleep. And so God sent the captain of the ship to wake up Jonah. And Jonah came up, and Jonah didn't pray, and the sailors prayed, and eventually they determined the best course of action would be to throw Jonah overboard, and the sea grew calm. And then, you know, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And then in chapter 2, we got to see Jonah experience what it was like and the, the, the fear for the loss of his life and the depths of despair. And Jonah knew God was rescuing him when he sent the great fish. And he had hope. And eventually, Jonah end up, ended up on dry ground. We don't know exactly where that was, but we know... We come to chapter 3 as we begin the rest of the story. Chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We don't know how much time transpires between the time Jonah ended up on dry land and this event. Could have been quickly, could have been days, weeks, or even months. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah is given a do-over, second chance, a second chance to obey. God's message in verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Same mission, go to Nineveh and I have a message for you, I want you to proclaim it. But he doesn't say anything about the wickedness this time. He says, proclaim the message I've given to you. God will give Jonah the words he needs just at the right time. And Jonah can trust him for that. Um, Ninevites are from the nation of Syria. And as we mentioned uh, earlier, they were were known for, uh, among several things, including idolatry and immorality, but especially had a reputation for cruelty and violence. Um, They treated prisoners of war uh, with with torture, and um, oftentimes when they uh, sacked an army, they left a pile of heads and hands, very high piles. 
Um, so, uh, now another thing that was kind of unique about this, remember the Ninevites are not Jewish people. They are non-Jewish. They would be called Gentiles. Um, and it wasn't common for a prophet to go to the Gentiles. Normally, their ministry was to uh, go to God's people, Israel, because Israel was given the law of God, and they were to know it, and they were to practice it, and they were to be uh, an example to the world around them. And when they disobeyed, God would use a prophet to call them on the carpet and to bring them back to obedience, to remind them about God and what God has asked them to do. That's what prophets normally did. And then at times as well, they prophesied about the future, future um, to them, and some of that future is future to us as well. So Jonah had this unique call. It was a mission, and Jonah became a missionary to the nations, and he was to be an ambassador for God. And we have that call too, don't we? Uh, we have a mission, and just to remind us of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said to his followers, his disciples, therefore, this is after he was resurrected, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go, go out into your world and then baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's sometimes called the great omission because sometimes people omit that, teaching them to obey, not teaching them to be good Christians, you know, not, not teaching them to be C-plus kind of people, but teaching them to obey everything and then God says, I'm going to be with you. You can count on me every step of the way. And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. God wants us to go. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to proclaim the good news that Jesus died for us. Um, he wants us to help people understand how do they connect with God. You know, that takes conversation. That takes answering questions. That takes time. Sometimes it takes a long time. It takes prayer, an investment of prayer. And we are to be his witnesses. We are to speak the truth about God, about who he is, and about what he's done for us. We, we can't share about things that he has not done for us, but we can share about what we know. And, and our knowledge in this room, every one of us is unique, but we can share what we know and what we know God has done for us. This is a mission for every Christ follower. And so God gives a second chance to Jonah. In verses 3 and 4, Jonah takes his second chance. And as you read the scriptures, you're going to notice that God communicates uh, to his people. And God is looking for a response. We say revelation, God reveals, God speaks, and response. What do we do? Is there obedience? Um, the first time God spoke to Jonah, Jonah responded by running away. Disobedience. But in verse 3, he obeys. Jonah, verse 3, obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So 
God spoke, revelation, and Jonah decides to respond. Uh, he, dis- he responds in obedience. Now, going to Nineveh was not an overnight trip. Um, in the ancient period in this area, 17 miles a day on foot was considered a day's journey. And Jonah had to go over 500 miles, likely, and that would have taken him at least 30 days or more. Nineveh was a great city. It was a great city to God. That's how God described it. And Nineveh had a city proper, and then it had a large metro area. The city proper was walled in with 100-foot walls. And it had about an eight-mile circumference. And those walls were so wide, it was said that three chariots could sit side by side on the top. Um, The inner city walls, eight eight miles in circumference. There was also an outer wall over the metro area, and it was closer to 60 miles in circumference. Um, The minimum population of Nineveh in those days, according to Jonah 4, was 120,000. But that may well be a reference just to children. And uh, some, uh, some uh, scholars believe that there were over 500,000, up to a million people in this area. Um, and it took three days to go through it, to go through jo- uh, Nineveh. And which probably means it's not that it took him three days to walk from one end to the other, but it took three days as Jonah went into the city, he began to stop and and meet people and tell them his story and proclaim what God had said. And uh, so Jonah would stop and preach. There would be probably conversation and interaction, and then Jonah would move on, and he would spend three days. We see his assignment in verse 4 Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he gets to the city, he went into the city, and, you know, sometimes it's like we don't think this is like a real story, because it is pretty humorous in a lot of different ways. But think of the faith that Jonah had to operate with to walk into this pagan city. And he's going to tell them 40 more days and your city is going to be totally wiped out. Just saying, you know. That's what Jonah has to do. Now, that's probably not all that Jonah had to say. He probably had a lot more to say, but this is the message in a nutshell. Now, that's not really a message of encouragement. Jonah was a Jewish man. To the Ninevites, he's probably a bit inferior to them. Street corner preachers, you know, really have never been popular in any society. And and Jonah proclaims 40 more days. He offers a grace period, 40 days to make a decision. Now, what we don't see in Jonah's message is asking them to repent. 
No doubt he did, because that was the primary nature of the prophets, is to call God's people on the carpet, to call people to repentance, to change their minds and change their hearts about God and about how they're going to respond to God. That's what repentance is. And uh, we're going to see later that the king sure gets the message, but we aren't there yet. And so if you were Jonah... How do you think that felt? To go into a city where you don't have friends, nobody there cares about you, and, and you are about to tell them that they're going to be destroyed. And, you know, he had just been sw swallowed by a great fish. Would he just go into Nineveh and be swallowed by an angry group of people? You know, this took some courage on Jonah's part. But we come to chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, and we see how God uses Jonah to bring a huge ministry impact to Nineveh. And, and right off the bat, verse 5, the people believed God. The Ninevites believed God. I don't think Jonah expected that. That was a surprise to him. This was a, a big learning for, Joseph, uh, for Jonah. God used Jonah, a weakling, for this powerful encounter. Uh, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sack, sackcloth. God moved through the people of the city, and it seemed to happen very quickly. Um, God moved the people to sense his presence and the reality of his power. And there must have been a sense of his holiness and righteousness to have a fear of his judgment. Now, one of the things that I think, you know, we don't know what, what they're experiencing. We just, we just see this quick response or this conclusive response. But to respond like that, what was their experience before the true and living God? It wasn't Jonah that impressed them. And one of the things that we know about humanity, and it's true about being created in the image of God, is that deep down people do have a sense of right and wrong. It's not totally accurate. It doesn't always totally align with scriptures, but there is a great sense one of justice, but of what right and wrong is. And there, that's even been true about marriage. And it's, been, it's been true about murder. There's just a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And about harming other people, there's just been a sense from society to society that that's wrong. And they do understand something about their past has caught up with them, and God knows he knows about their lifestyle. He knows about their brutal and violent actions. And they, and they know that they were wrong. They do sense that they are before the powerful God of the universe. And he knows about their sin. This is a powerful revelation from God when Jonah proclaims his message. And we see the people 
respond humbly. And they respond with honesty before uh, God. They put on sackcloth. And that was a sign in ancient cultures, uh, ancient cultures of, of humility and an, and, a, and an attitude of remorse. And sackcloth was a coarse material. It wasn't for comfort. Um, sometimes poor people wore it. Uh, sackcloth was made out of goat's hair and, and, um, or camel's hair. And for us, it's like burlap, you know. We, 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 it's, it's rare and rare, more rare all the time. But we have gunny sacks. And, and um, they had sackcloth made of camel's hair. And, and, and they were used for the same things, to carry produce in, in bulk. Not only do the people believe, but the king believed in verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. So the message from God went to the people in the city. And the news spread quickly. Some of it was Jonah moving, and some of it the people were spreading the word. And it gets to the king of Nineveh, who is the king of Assyria. Nineveh is a city. Assyria is a nation. So the king received the message likely secondhand. Um, the king responded almost immediately. The, the, the message of Jonah brought the fear of God to his house. He, he responds to God's message with radical humiliation. He got up from his human throne. He removed his royal garments, garments his garments of power, and he, he put on sackcloth, and he, he was just like everyone else. We're all sinners. And he recognizes he's just like that. And he sat down in the dust of the ground. And he became a humble Ninevite waiting for God's justice. And on that day in Nineveh, the fear of God swept through the city. The people were in despair for their lives because of their sin. God's presence brings a heavy pressure to their sin. Next, the king made a decree for humility, verses 7 through 9. Look at verse 7. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. So the king called his cabinet together to advise him on the, the best way to lead the people and to communicate with them. And this is what they decided. Do not let the people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. He, they order a fast. And this is really a radical fast. Not eating food is pretty difficult. But when you cut out fluids and drinking water, that is drastic. People don't live long without water. And so they made this order. P 
people and animals, herds or flocks, are not to eat and they're not to drink. This was, uh, now it was also very rare for animals to be involved in a fast and for, uh, we're going to see animals put on sackcloth. Verse 8, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. This is very rare. It's not part of scripture. It's not any command of God. But this is how the people choose to respond. And they're really essentially trying to protect their animals as well by by having them experience the same uh, lack of food and putting on sackcloth and humility for their animals as if God might not judge them also if they are included. And then the king says, this is pretty amazing, let everyone call urgently on God. This is Jonah's God. This is not their gods. They are to call on Jonah's God. There is this one God. And let them, let the people give up their evil ways and their violence. He is calling them to repentance. Jonah hasn't even gotten through the city yet, and the king is starting to help him. The king is spreading the message, and the king is leading the people on how they should respond to this call, this uh, warning of judgment to come. They are to give up their evil ways. He knows they have evil ways. He has evil ways, and he knows it. And he knows about their violent past because he's been involved in it, and he's ordered it, and it's caught up with him. Why should they repent? Verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And the king just has a little bit of hope in his, in his thinking. Honesty and humility about sin is the way to approach God. Honesty and humility about sin is the way to approach God for reconciliation. What we have seen in Jonah is perhaps the greatest revival in the history of the world. It literally reaches an entire city. It happens almost instantaneously. It happens very quickly. And it was not because of Jonah's skill. Jonah was not necessarily a great preacher. Now, I don't know what he sounded like or all the words that he used, but it was God who did a great work in Nineveh. This is the greatest miracle of the book. And this shows a whole lot about who God is and what he desires. Fourthly, in verse 10, God withholds his impending judgment. God saw their humility. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, 
This is what God was looking for. He was looking for a change, a response on their part, a response to his word, a response to revelation. And they believed. And by the way, faith pleases God. And the Ninevites responded by faith. God sees how they respond to his revelation. And he knows every detail. You know what? God sees how you and I respond to his word. God sees when he instructs us and we ignore him. He knows. And God sees when he instructs us and we act upon it. Verse 10, it was because of God's compassion. God had compassion. He relented. God uh, doesn't change. God didn't change his character, but he changed his plan. He relented. That's consistent with his nature. He pulled back on his plan to destroy Nineveh. God was moved by their honesty and humility. They deserved judgment, but God extended his grace. And grace is uh, one of the aspects of God's love for people. God saw their faith, and their faith pleased God. And when God sees your faith, your faith pleases God. And there are probably sometimes God just wished we had faith, and we ignore him. And then we see uh, God removed his plan for destruction, also in verse 10, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So the devastation for Nineveh is averted for now. The Ninevites have turned to God. They've had a powerful spiritual experience with God. There are times when people are just overwhelmed by the presence of God and it changes them forever. And sometimes maybe we would just like that experience, but we don't get to choose those experiences. And it is not about having an experience. It's about believing God. Sadly, uh, their faith does not spread well from generation to generation as God likes to see. Within 40 or 50 years, Assyria is going to be back at it and they're going to invade uh, Israel and destroy Jerusalem in 722 B.C. In 150 years, God will fulfill another prophecy to destroy Nineveh, and he does. But for now, what are some lessons for us? What are some lessons? The first one is, we've said it already, God is a missionary God. Oh, how he loves us, doesn't he? He cares about people who do not know him. He cared about the, the Ninevites as evil as their history in war was. There are people in our world that we do not care about, and God does care about. There are people in our world that we do not believe are deserving of God's grace, and they are not deserving, and we are not deserving of God's 
grace. God sent Jonah to warn them and to offer them grace. And God is still sending his people. That's what uh, Jesus uh, told his disciples in John 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. This is after the resurrection. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And Jesus had been preparing his followers, his disciples, to carry his message into the world so that it would be a mission. He's preparing them. And this has been the norm ever since, that this is what Christ's followers do. They go into their world. It might be far away. It might be next door. It might be in your workplace. It might be in your school. But God is sending us every day into the world that we live in. This is normal for every Christ follower. We're reminded of Acts 1.8 when Jesus told the same uh, disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And then he, he gives the places in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was right before he ascended into heaven. Um, and the disciples did receive power in Acts chapter 2. And uh, they did become witnesses. And it started in Jerusalem. It started in, at home. It started in the, their, where, where they were presently located. And then it began to spread out into the province, out into the nation, and then outside the borders of Israel and then out into the Mediterranean world. Got all the way to Rome in the first century. And it's been God's plan ever since to, had to have that message moving out through our world. Secondly, second lesson, God is still a God of second chances. God gave Jonah that second chance. Um, he didn't have to. He could have sent someone else. God gave uh, Okene a second chance on life, and Okene wanted his life uh, to be lived in, a, in grateful response to the goodness of God, to, to his miraculous rescue. Now, if you think about it seriously, your salvation is quite miraculous and is worth way more than a rescue from physical death. And God gives us another chance to live by receiving his gift of salvation. Now, as a Christ follower, not only have you been given the second chance, but you've probably been given a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a hundredth chance and so on. God has been very patient with us. We should never presume on God's grace to sort of like, well, it's going to be okay because I can ask for forgiveness later. That is not honoring God. That's arrogance. That's being flippant with God and being casual with God and treating God as unholy. God has given us an amazing promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And may we not take this for granted. May we just embrace it and be grateful for it. And, you know, we're imperfect people and we fall down mostly every day. And um, we just need to turn to God and be reminded of his grace and ask for his forgiveness. We should humbly keep short accounts with God. Third lesson, God is looking for people who live by faith. And, you know, we see it in Jonah. It's kind of interesting. We see, we see it um, with the Ninevites. They, they believed what God had to say. The, the king and his nobles believed what God had to say. Even Jonah believed because he went to Nineveh. That was a big deal. That, that was a, a long-term, courageous um, display of faith. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, faith is about responding to God's revelation and obedience. It's about taking God at his word. Living by faith is about trusting God's word and putting it into action. It's about doing it. It's not about keeping rules. It's about trusting God's word and following through on God's word. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I would guess that nearly everybody in this room knows that we begin our relationship with God by faith. We, we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we receive the righteousness of God. We say we're saved. We say we're born again. But that's just the beginning. The righteous will live by faith one day at a time. The righteous will live by faith when they embrace God's word and seek to follow it one day at a time. That's the character of a Christ follower in obedience is to live by faith. Uh, fourth lesson, God warns people of the coming judgment. God has warned us about eternal judgment to hell for those who do not believe in Christ. Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the consequences for our wrong choices, for our sinful behavior, for our attitudes and actions is death. Not just physical death, but it is spiritual death. Separation from God for an eternity. Very clearly, Jesus described this as hell, a place of eternal punishment. The good news is the gift of God is eternal life, is the opposite, but it comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In John 3, 18, Jesus said these words to Nicodemus. He said, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed 
the name of God's one and only Son. The one who's not believed in Jesus stands right now in condemnation before God. God has warned us of judgment to come, and we are to warn others. We know the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. Like Jonah, we have a mission to warn other people. It's not fair if we don't warn them. Because God, number five, offers the way of escape. Jesus also told this to Nicodemus. Leah read this passage earlier, John 3, 16, the best known passage in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son, that whoever, they offer us to every person, any person, believes in him, meaning believes in Jesus Christ, shall not perish, shall not be condemned to, have, to hell, but have eternal life. Heaven as their home and the promises of God and God's eternal inheritance. You know, God loved the Ninevites and God loves our neighbors. He loves our co-workers. He loves our classmates even those who do not treat us well. We tend to not like people who do not treat us well. Our job is to go into our world every day as Christ followers and display a life that shows other people that God loves them. And when we have the opportunity is, is to tell them the good news and to tell them that God does love them. And God wants to be in a relationship with them. And that God has paid for their sin. He has revealed that already. And he wants us to respond. And he wants people to respond to him in faith. The bad news is there is judgment to come. And that's a warning. But who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? That's where we fit in. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for the book of Jonah and what we can learn from Jonah. God, we see you work in powerful ways throughout the book and in Jonah's life and in the city of Nineveh. You are an all-powerful God and we trust you and we look to you for leadership in our lives. We thank you that you are a loving God and a compassionate God and you offer mercy and you offer forgiveness and you've offered that to us, and we say, thank you. We, we praise you. We worship you. We recognize, too, that you've called us on mission. You will um, enable us. You will equip us. And 
you will use us if we will be available and if we will trust you and respond to your instructions in obedience. Give us opportunity to speak for you, to represent you in a way that honors you, in a way that honors other people. Give us boldness, give us courage, give us hope, give us kindness and patience. And we ask for your success in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.